0: Welcome this morning, Uh, it's your first time. Um, We are glad you're with us, and uh, this morning we are going to be in um, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be continuing um, a series that Corbin kicked off last week called Everyday Church. Um, The idea is simple uh, as far as the theme of the series, and the theme of the series is to think of how do we live out our Christianity, in a way that would make sense to the everyday life that you have and we that I have, and that isn't always having to revolve around a Sunday morning. We raised the question last week, what if Sunday mornings weren't here, and Corbin brought us back to 2020 and and, and the idea of we weren't able to meet, and so that changed some things for us, and I think it it honestly changed some things for the good, because it reminds us that we aren't supposed to just be... um, gathering on Sunday morning and that be it, although I think gathering on Sunday morning is important. There, there's an idea that we are to be living this out every single day. Um, there's an idea that Christ should be making an impact into our life every single day and not just turning it off and turning it on. Uh, or in other words, we said last week, it's not as if like Christ is just another thing uh, to juggle in your life, right? Like I've got my job, I've got my career, I've got my family, I've got friends, Leisure, vacations are coming up hopefully for you this summer, all these things that we're trying to juggle. And sometimes we feel as if God is just another piece that we just throw into the juggling mix. We said, what if God instead was the center of our life and everything else revolved out of that? And that's what we're going to look at again this morning is this idea of everyday church and how, do, how would that in, impact our community? And so when I think community, I think of Canal Fulton, I think of Tusla area, I think of Lawrence Township, Jackson, Maslin. It's interesting and unique when I try and tell people about where we're from or where the church is, I said, it's kind of in Maslin, but it's not really in Maslin. It's kind of in Lawrence Township, but it's, it's part of, and, and it's funny because like, you explain it to somebody else, we're like, oh, Maslin, I get it, like zip code, you're, you, you've got Maslin, which is Perry, Jackson, this, Tussle. It's it, Maslin is just like a weird hodgepodge of everything. But if you're here, it's interesting because it's unique. Because if you say we're going to Canal Fulton and you're from Tuslaw, you're like, oh, you're going that far. I'm like, really? It's not really. You you say you're from Canal Fulton, you're like, oh, I live out in And They're like, oh wow, how's your commute? I'm like, I I really, it's not bad. It's really not bad. Uh, It's just amazing. Like, and and I think it's just maybe just small town area, but it's just funny how like we get locked into like our area is the best area. And so I'm not going to pick sides this morning because I know better. Um, But uh, (laughs) this morning, uh, I just want us to think what would it mean for Christ to impact all of those communities, uh, to put it in the real hodgepodge of masculine area, right? What would it mean that He would impact where we eat, live, work, and play this morning? Here is where we're going to head uh, in First Peter this morning, and I hope this is kind of going to be clear as we walk through it together. Um, as exiles, Jesus has divinely placed you in your community in order to represent His grace and His holiness. And we're going to talk about what that actually means because those are some big words. Uh, But as exiles, Jesus has divinely placed you in your community in order to represent his grace and his holiness. Or to put it differently, you are called to live different in your community because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because you are holy and you know how much that holiness costs you. So to put it differently, and this isn't on the screen, you are called to live different in your community because we are holy. And because we know how much that holiness cost us. We're going to look at that as 1 Peter this morning. That's going to be kind of where we we land. So first off, let's just kind of hit this first word of exiles, because that's a weird word in 2022. Uh, Not many of us are thinking, I can totally relate to that. I just told my wife the other day, like, we are exiles, aren't we? Uh, We don't normally use that language. It's not normal for us. But exiles in this day, in in Peter's day, it would have been known. It would have been known to those in the day of Peter, but it also have been known to the history of Israel. Because if you know anything about Israel's history, and I'm not talking about just biblical Israel, I'm talking about Israel in general, even through history, you watch all of these things, and Israel was known as an exile people. Exile was not new to Israel. If you were to look at their history all the way back to Exodus in 1523, they were in Exodus from 1523 to 1313 BC. And then from Exodus, they were in captivity to Babylon from 423 to 372. They were in captivity in Persia from 372 to 348. And then they were in captivity as Peter's writing in Rome from 69 AD to the, to the 70 and the past beyond. And so Israel would have known much of their history, much of their ancestry would have been exiles. They would not have been new. It would have been very odd, actually, in Israel's history, to actually say, this is our land. This is our land, and nobody was allowed into it. That didn't happen until years and years and years and years and years later. But for most, they would have been seen as transient. They would have been seen as exile is normal. We're never going to own our own property. We're never going to own our own land. We're always going to be subject to some tyrannical judge government that's going to be over us, whether it's the Egyptians, whether it's the Babylonians, whether it's the Persians or the Romans. They were always going to be under the thumb of somebody. And so exiles was not new to Peter. It's not new to them then. They knew what it was like to live under dictators and occupiers of their land, and they, they had to know that they had to live differently. And Peter will tell these exiles the same thing live differently while you're in exile. 2022 and our growing up, it's it's harder to get there because when we think live differently, unfortunately, we may, if you've been in church for a long time, um, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you were in church in the 90s, uh, if you were in the church in the 80s, if you were in youth group in the 80s or 90s, such as myself, we were told to live differently, and then we were given certain things to help us live differently. And sadly, our version of live differently in the 80s and 90s looked a lot like this. Um, This is uh, an NES, yes, you're welcome. You are very welcome. This is an NES game called Exodus. Exodus. I love that not only is this a Christian game, but I love that you can't read this, but I love the fact that they decided to put out an NES game to live differently. And at the bottom of this game, just to prove how lame it was, um, to start game, please wait up to nine flashes on the TV screen. Power on. Please wait seven seconds between power off and power on. It was like you're, this game's going to explode. Like that's just your first, like here's, here's your video game. We don't know what it's going to do. Just take a minute to figure it out. Now, <clears throat> the picture itself is good, but let me give you the description. <laughs> Rating, pending, okay uh, <laughs> that 's funny. Experience the spectacular events surrounding the journey to the promised land. Witness the sovereign hand of God, his chosen leader Moses, and the mighty exploits that brought the Israelites out of slavery and established the written law. <laughs> Help Moses solve the puzzle with 100 fascinating levels featuring mazes and other obstacles to faith. With your staff and the spoken word of God, you will defend against enemies including magicians, pharaoh's soldiers, weaknesses of man, hardened hearts, and other devices that are challenged the character of God. Along the way, Moses can gather holy oil, <laughs> we put this in kids' hands, the armor of God, greater faith, you can purchase that, and much more. Illustrated with fifty colorful reward screens, the learning tool also learning tool. The learning tool also includes two hundred fifty questions spanning the entire bio, book of Exodus. Are you ready to defend the faith? No. That was our version of living differently. Unfortunately, yeah, you put that back up. Um, <clears throat> That was unfortunately, when we think live differently, I think we often think of that or a Christian t-shirt or that's how I live differently in my community. I say the right Christian phrases, I do the right Christian things, and and that living differently is going to impact my neighbors. Like my parents literally would have thought, and I would have gone along with this, so not to judge them, we would have thought this is going to be the best Christmas gift for all your friends. They're going to love this. And we thought in middle school, if I hand this to my kids, I'm going to get beat up. Like I'm going to be like beat up and that's going to be left on my doorstep because nobody really wanted to be playing the Exodus game as much as they wanted to be, you know, playing Excite Bike or Double Dragon or whatever it was in those days. Um, and, And so living differently is different than actually what we see here and living differently can be a negative if it's done in this way. Everyday Church, there's a book called Everyday Church that we're, we're using a lot as we think through this series. But he says this, if, you, if we could produce cool church events, this is, the, this is the myth. If we could produce cool church events, we would create a generation of Christians and consumers who look to the church to entertain them. It would only create a consumer mentality among churchgoers. We would have generations of Christians who move from church to church, hunting experiences, looking to be entertained. Sadly, what the, they thought was a myth has actually turned into a reality. That This desire to pull off new church events, cool new events, cool uh, whatever, events or programs. Um, we, we hope that somehow if we could entertain the masses, then people would keep coming back. The reality is it's left us with just a lot of people who are just burnt out on church or are fed up with church or don't see it as a reality in their life. But I wanna encourage you this morning that being exiles, living as those who are displaced is, is not like that. It's actually far more challenging this morning and far more rewarding when we think about living as exiles or being exiles or living displaced. So again, our main theme is this, if you get nothing else out of the morning. As exiles, Jesus has divinely placed you in your community to live differently in order to represent his grace and his holiness. We are called to live different in our community. Because we are holy, and because we know how much that holiness has cost us. If you have your Bible, let's go to First Peter chapter one, verses ten through twelve. We begin here with some encouragement that you are currently—I don't know if you know this or not—but you are currently living in a generation that Peter would have been jealous of, that the prophets would have been jealous of, because we are living in a time where Jesus, his resurrection, is in our past and not in our future. So here's what he says in in. First Peter, beginning in verse ten, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. He says, this idea of being here and being in this community at this day and age is a blessing. He says, there are prophets that that did all the hard work for us, announcing who Jesus was without ever seeing him. He says, there are angels that long to look into this idea of how do we get this idea of imparted salvation through Jesus? Like, how does that work? And, And we as human beings in 2022 are living in a really good day and age to be encouraged this morning, that you are living in an easy time, really, to, to represent Christ in our communities. And that is a good benefit to us right now. And if this is true, that, you know, we're living in a good time and this is, this is supposed to be a really good, encouraging thing, why is it still so hard, really, to get excited about this? Like, why is it still so hard for me to go into my daily, weekly, day-to-day life And not be excited or fueled by this fact that even prophets long to look into these days. I don't normally wake up, unfortunately, mornings and think, man, I am blessed to be where I am. I am blessed to be in this day and age and this time in history. I typically think, what else has to get done? What else do I need to knock out? And what else is pressing for the week? Instead of thinking, man, what an opportunity we have to live in this day with the community that we have around us. And I think some of it is because you and I, myself included, have become numb to the culture around us. We become numb or maybe even complacent. And our culture has lulled us into thinking that if we give or go to the right causes, we're morally good and therefore we're doing Christian things. But I wanna challenge us this morning that what if it's actually deeper than just doing the right things, giving to the right causes? What if everyday church was far better than just tasks that we knock off? 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 21. Let me read this. It's a little bit longer of a section, but this is where we're gonna spend most of our remaining time. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's start a little bit in reverse verse and know why we are to live differently, why this idea of being where we are is important. The why is the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The why we should live differently is not just because we're told to. It is because we have a beautiful salvation that is only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This precious blood of Jesus Christ is what the prophets longed to look into, what the angels longed to look into, and it is this that is key to why we are to live differently. Even verse eight of this same chapter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We can't truly, let me just say this, we can't truly know how precious the blood of Christ is without the power of the Holy Spirit bringing that up in us. I truly believe like we're not able to do that unless Christ brings that up for us. I believe that we can't know how precious this truth is without Scripture. We can't know how precious it is without spending the time looking into Scripture and and seeing all that God has done for us. And all the experiences that we have in our life that that we can go back to and say, that was a good time. I remember Jesus was good to me then. Those are good, but we can't allow our experiences to dictate the truth. And the truth is, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without Jesus Christ in our life, and without scripture to illumine this in our life, we cannot fully understand or grasp the true preciousness of Christ's blood on our behalf. We can try but I truly believe that we, it's exhausting and there's an easier way and that is simply to be asking our Father who loves to give good gifts generously to say, God, would you remind me of the preciousness of your blood? I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of, of doing it through the guilt way. I truly desire to know how good and how great you are. I desire to know the preciousness of your blood and I've tried it many different ways and I just can't understand it. I get it in my head, but it hasn't transformed my heart and I want it to transform my heart. I hope this morning I I hope this morning that that is something God is working on you I hope that God is in this time in this series he does that for you that he causes that uneasiness to say why can't I have that preciousness feeling I want to know him I pray that it would bug you enough that you actually ask him and say God would would you show me how precious and how good this is it's not the same as silver and gold. It's very different, and that's the why behind it. We're going to come back to that as we as we look at, at the end of this. But the other part of this is then: How do we, as exiles whom Jesus has divinely placed in these communities, how do we do this? How do we live in communities with a mission and not just live? How do we, if we're transformed by that truth, live it out on a regular basis? We look at verses 13 to 17. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. And we're going to talk about this and unpack this a lot in this one little couple sentences here. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, sets your hope fully on the graces brought to you. It's a complex sentence. When we think of this sentence, therefore, preparing your mind for action, if you were to see this in the original language, it, it actually is really hard to, to digest. But I think there's a better way of seeing it. And I think if you were to see it in the original language, it would actually sound a little bit more like this. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ by preparing your minds to action and by being sober-minded. Do you see the difference? When you see this in its original context, it says the the why is we set our hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. We look to a future day when all of this will be turned to to good and we see him coming back for us. And as we think of the revelation, he says, I want you to set your hope fully there. And I want you to set your hope fully there by preparing your minds to action and by being sober-minded, right? To being sober in this idea of, of disciplining our minds to think of the hope that is for us. So two things here in the how. One, he says, I want you to prepare your minds. This is, this is another fun little phrase that you, you really don't get here. But preparing your minds, is, uh, it's a little different um, when, you, when you see it in the actual language. In the actual language, it means... Uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, It means put your big boy pants on and let's do this, okay? Uh, It means gird up your loins officially. So that's just a fun term you should throw around your house more often. You guys ready to gird up our loins? Let's do this, right? Um, Not many are using that. Uh, Suit up, put on the pads, get the mouth guard in. Let's get this. You're going to actually do a practice today that's going to hurt. Like this is actually going to be tough. Um, One of my... Favorite ones I can't use on stage, uh, but uh, it was one of my favorite ones I found, and I won't tell you the phrase, but, but it was this idea of, man, you got to get ready for battle. Like, not just messing around, like fully in. Now, I don't know if that excites you or if you're like, yeah, okay. But, but, but for many of us, I fear that we have not had many of these experiences where we're just like, all right, this is going to be bad. This is going to hurt. This is going to be terrible. Let's go, right? Most of us are like, I don't know if I really want that. But he's telling us here, when he talks about gird up your loins or preparing your minds to action, he's like, get ready. This is not going to be easy, but man, is it going to be fun, right? You're going to get your teeth kicked in, but it's going to be amazing. You may get choked out along the way, but when you wake up after getting passed out, you're going to be like, that was awesome. Let's do this again, okay? That's the mindset. <clears throat> That's where he's taking us. Prepare your minds for action this ain't going to be easy. Living as exiles, it's going to cost you. If you truly want to make a difference in your community, guess what? It's going to hurt. Guess what? It's going to come at a cost. But he's telling you, I want you to do it anyway. He says, prepare your minds, get ready, let's go after this. And then he says, secondly, be sober. (laughs) Don't get lulled into our culture. To put it in another really bad paraphrase, don't get warmed faced with this community right? Don't allow yourself to just kind of, the whiskey's flowing, it's bonfire time. This is not bonfire time. This is like, you need to get ready for action kind of time. This isn't getting wasted and drunk and lulled into, you know, all those things. This is truly, you got to be ready for this. He says, I want you to think of the hope that is to come, and I want you to be sober. Don't get lulled into thinking that living as exiles is going to be easy, And then he says this in 14 and 17, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we mentioned the definition, like this idea of living in community is about being holy or being set apart. I want to just kind of break this down for us. This morning, and the idea of being holy or unique. This should be our calling. This should be truly what we desire. He says, basically, in this breakdown of this section, that God Himself is holy. So, this first circle would represent God, right? And His holiness. This is Him set apart from everybody else. And when we think of holy, especially scripture, when it talks about God being holy, there are two ways that really that comes out. One, Theologically, it means that he is, ooh, that's supposed to be a Q, unique, okay? He is other than. He is completely not like you, like me, like anything else in all creation. When your child asks who created God and you tell them nobody created God, God just created himself, they're like, that's impossible. And you're like, instead of going all those ways of like trying to explain it and getting lost in all these different kind of answers, you can just be like, yep but that's impossible. Yup. Why? Because he's not us. He is unique. It is completely other than us. So if God could create himself out of nothing, or God has always been, we should say, he's unique. Well, I've never had that. Exactly. Well, I've never seen it. Exactly. Because you're not God. If that were the case, we'd have a lot of problems. If all of us were many gods, if I were a god. We'd be in some serious trouble, okay? So he is completely unique. His holiness means that he is unique in who he is as a being. And then this also means that he is not just unique, he is morally pure, okay? So it's not just that he's unique, it's also in his actions, he is morally pure. He is completely set apart, and he is completely pure in First Peter He says, I want you to know that you are called to be holy because God is holy. He is unique. He is morally pure. And then he adds this. He says, as you are holy. So somehow he says that when we accept Jesus Christ, God imparts his holiness to you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, it looks bad. Um, he has given it to you. He has imparted these things to you. So, what does this then look like for us? Like, are we completely unique? Are we godlike in that sense? Are we morally pure? Are we truly, if this is imparted to us, God? Himself. Holiness, when we talk about it with us, is that we are called to be unique exiles living morally pure lives. We are morally pure because we have been justified, and we are unique because we are placed in God Himself. And because we are unique and because we are pure, that that is how we are then to live out this idea of being different in community. Let me explain it this way. That was a lot. Let me explain it this way. As we think of living differently in our community, a lot of us can just get caught up into thinking, what does that actually look like? How is it actually different? Do we buy the, you know, Nintendo games? Do we wear the t-shirts? Do we, is that how we're supposed to live differently? I want to challenge us that First Peter is actually telling us that we're to live differently in these two ways of unique and morally pure. So I want to start <clears throat> over here with the idea of morally pure. So what this looks like for us is you have been cleaned, set apart, biblical word justified. Jesus Christ has canceled all of your sin and debt. Yet we, as we work through growing to be more like Christ, the way we live this out in our communities is that we are personally killing Sin on a regular basis. How do we live this out? We're personally killing sin on a regular basis. Verse 18 and 19, he says that there, there's, a, there's these passions, or there's, there's passions in the early verses that, that, are, that are from uh, who we were and not who we currently are. And he says, if we are truly justified, then we are to be killing our sin on a regular basis. We're to be taking it and crucifying and saying, that's not me. I just had a couple conversations this last week with people, and it was just this beautiful truth of looking at our past and saying, man, in my past, I did some pretty messed up things in my past. And I think what we hear a lot in culture, what we hear a lot around us, is it's not that big of a deal. But let me just kind of just be honest with you this morning. The sins in my life and who I've hurt along the way— From high school to college to being married to kids, I have messed up in a lot of different ways. And I can go to people that I offended, that I humiliated, that I took all of their worth from, and I can ask them today, If they saw me in front of them in a church, would that make sense? Does that fit with how you knew me in high school? They're like, no, I don't even understand why you're you're there. Because the damage that I did to them was a big deal. The sins that I commit are a very big deal. They are not something that just gets glanced, glanced over. But here's the reality this morning. Because it's a big deal, it makes me know and understand that the cross was a big deal. If you were in this room this morning and your sins were so bad that you don't even want to mention them to anybody, you're like, if anybody knew my past, they would never love me. If anybody knew my past, they'd be so messed up. My neighbor over there, he's got it all together. He's fine. If I, if I was more like him, then, then, then I'd be better. But here's the reality. Your neighbor next door is just as jacked up as you are. Your neighbor next door is just as sinful sometimes as I can be. We all have the propensity to sin. We all have the propensity to do harmful and terrible things to other people. And we could look at it and we could say, it's not a big deal, glance over it. Or we can say, it was a huge deal. And thankfully, the blood of Jesus was powerful enough to heal and fix and and restore all the damage that I have done and all the damage that I will do and all the damage that I'm currently doing. I don't think we fully get how, how much damage we can do, but I'm starting to get the weight of it. I'm starting to understand it year after year that I can do some pretty messed up things to people. And it reminds me, again and again and again, without the blood of Christ, I can't kill what's going to kill me in the process. Does that make sense? I need to understand the preciousness of what he's given to me so that I can kill sin. We talked about it before of the idea last week, we, we talked about the idea of the motorcycle and steering through the turn and, or I think it was Good Friday, we talked about the idea of, and when you take your motorcycle out you, you, you can't look at the turn where you want to go. You want to look through the turn to actually make the turn and the same is true with our sin. We can't just battle sin by, by just attacking the sin and, 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 and looking at it all the time. We have to actually look through the sin to say because of the preciousness, bl- precious blood of Jesus Christ I am forgiven of all of that. I had a conversation this week and I said it's as if this is a terrible visual, but a friend of mine had this, this uh, dream he had a while back, and he said, it's, it's as if I'm standing on a cliff and I've got myself right in front of me. And the Bible is telling me, and God's telling me, I need to execute my old self. I need to literally put a bullet in him, push him over the edge, and be like, He's done. He's dead. He's buried. He's gone. And I said, That's pretty graphic. And I said, Did you do it? He goes, Yeah, it was really weird. He says, I actually watched myself and I had to push myself over and kill it and just be dead. And I said, what a painfully horrible, great visual that our old self is dead, gone, and buried. And yet we keep trying to bring him back off the bottom of the cliff. You're okay, bro, just shake it off. I'm good, right? No, you're dead. You're gone. You're buried. Leave it in the grave. Let it be dead. Leave it there because you've been called to something better. And as you understand that you're to be killing sin, it's that idea that I just keep having to understand no matter what I think is going to separate me from God, it won't. And secondly, whatever is keeping me from God, I need to execute and I need to kill it. I need to rip it out. I can't mess around with it anymore. I can't play games with it anymore. I got to kill it or it's going to kill me. And I don't know if you've ever been that desperate before, but I pray, honestly, and this is a terrible pray to pray for you, but I'm going to do it anyway. I am praying for this church that God would make you so uncomfortable with your sin that your only resort is to start killing it before it starts ripping you apart to not just play games with it anymore. It's, it's not a big deal. It's fine. Everybody does it. It's, at least it's not as bad as theirs. I pray as a church that we would understand the weight of our sin and start ripping it out, start killing it, so that we understand how to do the other side of this, and that is this idea of being Unique. Because as you understand and you start killing sin in your life, it's going to continually drive you back to the preciousness of God. And what it's going to mean is that you get to offer, it's going to be hard to see this, you get to offer grace. Because you are set apart, because you are justified, because Christ's blood paid for you and your sins, you get to look at your life and you get to look at somebody else in our community and they come to you and be like, man, I really messed up. Man, it's bad. I'm, I'm seriously, it's, it's not good. You get to look at them and say, you know what? It's not okay. I think that's our first instinct. It's okay, it's fine. It's not okay. It's sinful, it's horrible, it's disgusting. But here's the reality. There is someone... That will offer you grace whose blood is powerful enough, whose life is perfect enough to cover over whatever that is. It does not mean that we will have no consequences for our sin. That is a lie. We will have consequences. But what I'm offering is that you can walk away clean and pure in Jesus Christ. Joel, you don't know my life. I don't have to know your life. We all have messed up stuff. We all think we're unworthy to get there. But the beauty of the uniqueness of God is that he is so unique and so set apart that he offers it to us and he says, you can be saved. You can be like my son. And I'm offering you this idea of being unique, set apart so that you can grow to be more like me. This only, again, happens when we know the truth of the why behind this in First Peter chapter 1, 18-21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He raised you and seated you so that your hope and glory are in the uniqueness and the moral purity of God to say, God, I've got nothing left on my own but if you could give that to me, I would gladly take that so that then I can offer it to my community around me. I can go to my community and say, we are not okay. Sin is a big deal, and we have to know that. But Jesus is telling me that his cross, his blood on our behalf is a bigger deal than anything we come across in our community. Now, the how of this, I know we kind of talk a lot about We said at the beginning, how do we live this in our community, this idea of knowing our holiness, which that truly is, to be honest, this is holiness, right? Holy is the uniqueness, moral purity that is then given to us. So if we're going to live holy lives and we know the worth of being holy, I truly believe the biggest thing that's going to help your friends, your family, your neighbors understand and come closer to Jesus Christ It's not another t-shirt, it's not another program, it's not another pamphlet, as good as those can be. I truly believe that if we at Community Bible Church took this seriously and we said, you know what my neighbors need? They need to see Christ. They need to see somebody who is sold out to killing sin on a regular basis in my life. They need to see me, a husband, a father, Man in this community, they need to see me living transparently with other men. They need to see that that I have time set aside with other guys that I can just talk with and say, man, my week was messed up and I need you to hold me accountable. This community needs less t-shirts and more transparent people. Can I just put it that way? They need to see moms, ladies, women of faith, that are killing sin on a regular basis. And they're not allowing gossip and all these other things to interfere, but instead they are killing sin and loving other ladies with them and saying, let's show this community what it looks like to love Jesus. Let's show our sons and our daughters what it looks like to love Jesus by continually confessing and continually living lives that are transparent and killing sin on a regular, regular basis. And always reminding ourselves along the way that it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that does anything for us as we close this morning, let me give you one other example, and here's where we end, of exiles. And I love this. This is Jeremiah chapter 29. And many of you have probably heard this verse in Jeremiah 29. Many of you have maybe memorized this verse out of 29. This could be on a t-shirt that you own in in Jeremiah 29. Um, But ultimately, you need to know the context of Jeremiah 29. We talked about living as exiles. We talked about Israel, that they've always known this. And we said, how do we do this? How do we live out everyday church? You go back hundreds and thousands of years to a group of Israelites in the book of Jeremiah, living in captivity, and we get this amazing couple verses out of Jeremiah 29. I'm going to end with this, and then Rich is going to lead us from here. Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, verse 4, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's how you do it. Here's how you live in community. This is beautiful. Build houses and live in them. What? Yes, build homes. Live in the community God's placed you. Be a good neighbor. Don't be the weird one, unless you wanna be that, but anyway, but build homes. He says, live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Enjoy life. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give their daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. We live, we breathe, we have this great time. We do other things he's telling us to do as we live in this community. is that great? But also, as you live in community, seek the welfare of that city. Where I have sent you into exile. What? Seek the betterment of Babylon? How does that work? Yes, seek the betterment of Mount Fulton. Seek the betterment of wherever you are placed in living today. Be, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it is its welfare you will find your welfare. That's amazing. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is lie. They are profiting in my name. I will not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will take you and fulfill the promises to bring you back to this place. Here's the amazing verse that we get out of 29 that we all see and we all love. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. (laughs) We say it all the time out of context, but what it's meant to say is we live that, Prayer for your prosperity in the middle of your culture, in the middle of your community, in the middle of your exile. Plant homes, live life, be normal in that sense, but know that Christ is in you and continue to kill that sin and knowing your uniqueness is placed on you by God in that community for a reason. As we close, um, I thought it'd be good just to kind of sing this out as an anthem as we close. Um, This is... uh, the idea of how do we do it? Well, one, we have to know who God is. And as we know who he is, he continues to transform us so that we can live differently in our communities. We got a couple more weeks in this series. We're gonna get a little more practical. But for this morning, can I just ask to take seriously the call of God in this verse of 1 Peter to live holy as he is holy. And being holy means we start having to attack the sin that is keeping us from where we need to be. And it also means we get to offer grace to those around us who are feeling like there is no way I could get here the reality is you can the reality is we have but it ultimately comes through saying God I need you to take over and I need you to keep killing sin in my life on a regular basis so that I can live differently in my community set apart holy as he is holy we pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you've gone ahead of us. You've, you've done the work, but we need reminded this morning before we leave, we need reminded of the precious blood of Jesus and what it cost us so that we can live out our lives, our daily routines, not in weird ways, but in ways that just meet people where they're at, in ways that we can communicate the gospel clearly because we have been forgiven. They can be forgiven. That we can relate to, man, those sins are are my sins. I get you. How do you deal with them? I continually nail them to the cross. That's how I beat them. Well, how do you do that? I turn my life over to Jesus. It's the only way. His blood covers everything. That's how we live as exiles in this community. Pray that we would do so well, Father. It's your name we pray. Amen.